The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories, along with our own insights from the work we are doing. Plus, we'll be talking to the organisations making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. The standout moment where I had plenty of clients saying to me, love the content of this webinar, for example, that we're about to put on, but I don't want to have the word stress in the title. That was like a real standout moment for me thinking, well, hold on a second. If you want to do this, and this is what you're trying to support your staff in, how can you not have stress in the title? Welcome to the first episode of the F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work. Now, this is a conversation for busy HR, DNI, and wellbeing leads, or even if you're not busy. But the reason we wanted to bring this conversation to you is to open your minds to the vast topic of fertility at work and why it really matters for employees and for businesses too. Now, in this first episode, you're going to hear from myself, Natalie Silverman, and my two co-founders, Becky Cairns. Hello. And Claire Ingle. Hello. And we're going to give you a brief intro about ourselves. And then through this first series, I'll be your host. And Becky and Claire will be dropping in to give their thoughts and also answer your questions. And we'll also be joined at times by Kate Davis, who is our medical advisor, and Julianne Buteleb, who is our psychological advisor, once we've all got our calendars synced. Because What we want is to give you a really good taster of what it's like working with us here at Fertility Matters at Work as we guide you on your journey to hopefully becoming fertility friendly accredited, which you will learn what that's all about. Now, the thing is, this is such a big conversation. We want to show you how vast it is. And we want to share the stories from our community. So over about the last six months, we've been hosting free Zoom conversations where we have been inviting a whole host of voices to share their experiences. And what we hope is that we can spread them even further and wider with this podcast. Not only that, we're also going to be talking to fascinating thought leaders who are already working in the workplace wellbeing space about the challenges they've had to overcome. We're also going to be sharing conversations from the amazing companies that we're working with, both from the decision makers and the people within organizations who have been just really bold and shown the vulnerability by leading the change from within. So we've got loads to get through and we really hope you enjoy what lies ahead. But I'm going to shut up now and get both Becky and Claire to tell you a bit about themselves. And I'm going to put them on the spot and ask them to just say what they hope from our podcast series. So Becky, I'll get you to go first. Hi everyone. So I'm Becky Kearns and I am a patient advocate. I'm also a HR professional as well. And what I really hope from this podcast is that people will be able to really listen to the voices of those who have been through this, but also to the voices of those who work in organisations and have started to see a change. And so we just want to bring it to life, really. And what better way than to have a conversation? I'm really looking forward to this series and I'm really looking forward to getting your questions and just really hope we can bring this to life for you. Now, I did say to both Becca and to Claire to give a brief overview 
of their stories. That's the briefest, Becky, I've ever heard you give. So just to share a little bit more about your your route to parenthood. Yeah, I didn't want to say too much because I know I can talk. I suppose my fertility journey started back when I was 27 and I was diagnosed with early menopause. And at the time I was working in a professional HR role within a corporate organisation And I was told that if I wanted to have children, we needed to act right now and I needed to have IVF. And that started a very long journey, um, which spanned over about two years, where I went through five cycles of IVF with my own eggs. I had a devastating miscarriage with the first um, attempt where I did become pregnant. And then over that time, we had to reevaluate our path to parenthood and eventually decided to use egg donation. And I'm now the mum to three amazing girls, all thanks to egg donation. So I just feel really passionately because of the way that this life-altering experience impacted me in the workplace and also the fact that I was a HR professional and had never had anyone come to me to talk about this as something that they were going through. So realised that there really needed to be a voice that was sharing their story, but also a voice that was trying to help organisations understand what they can do as well. And I think you're going to really benefit from Becky and Claire's experience listening. Um, As we said at the start, we're going to be inviting your questions and hopefully answering them as we go through. So I'm going to welcome Claire, who's the least keen to um, do this kind of thing. We've been gently coaching her, coercing her really into into getting more involved because she's brilliant. So come on, Claire. You missed bribing. You missed bribing <laughs> me. That that's a thing. So <laughs> hi everybody. I'm Claire Ingle. Also work in the space of HR, been in HR for very nearly 25 years. So coming up quarter of a century, which is flipping scary. I had um three rounds of IVF treatment to have my daughter, who is now four years old. She started school in September. So this is an amazing milestone for us. Like Becky, I worked in the HR space when I was going through this, and nobody in my career had come to me to indicate that they needed help or that they were going down this route to have a baby. So this was all learning from me. And, and actually, part of me is very glad that I've been exposed to this space because I think it makes me a better HR professional and I can then be better positioned to help other people. And in terms of from this podcast, I think, and I say this with the utmost sincerity, when we are able to help people or reposition them or repurpose the conversations we have that are usually overwhelmingly negative, it gives me a massive sense of satisfaction and there's no feeling, I've never felt a feeling like it, in that you can actually help somebody to navigate this journey from a workplace perspective and to listen and understand. So I think Becky said quite rightly, it's about getting that conversation far and wide and also bringing the whole lot of nuances to this conversation because no two journeys are the same. So what we want to make sure is that you subscribe. We'll remind you at the end. I mean, the podcast is available in all your favourite podcast apps. But like we've said, we're going to be sharing voices from our community as well as brilliant people that we've met along the way. Before we get going, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I am the third co-founder of Fertility Matters with these two. I don't have a background in HR. I have a background in broadcasting and podcasting, hence making them do this. Um, but I was uh, I was hosting a breakfast show with Heart when I went through my fertility treatment. I always talk about having to be upbeat and jolly and perform. If you ever listen to Breakfast Radio, you know that everybody's always having a brilliant time. So it was a bit of an act I was putting on whilst uh, going through what I was going through. 
However, I had success first time, which is quite a rare outcome, sadly, when people embark on this journey. My son will be eight next March. We're recording this in October 2022. But I became a patient advocate. I launched the Fertility Podcast, which I had been making for seven years uh, before kind of just slowing things down with that to start this podcast. And I'm a massive, massive believer of the power of audio. And I just know that you're going to really enjoy the conversations because we we have and we keep having amazing conversations. And the three of us have got so much to say on this this topic. Now, in this first episode that we're sharing with you, we're going to be talking to a lady called Zoe Sinclair, who is the founder of Employees Matter. And we met her virtually this year, and then we all met her for the first time at the Fertility Show. And she's doing amazing work with organisations, which you're going to hear her explain all about. Before we have a listen, though, Becky, I know you've recently actually been on Zoe's podcast. Just tell me a bit about what you think of the work that she's doing. So, yeah, I recently appeared on um, Zoe's podcast speaking about my own personal experience of baby loss and also my fertility journey. And that was one of the conversations that Zoe was bringing to life um, in the mental health space. I just greatly admire what she does because she has really been able to reach so many employers, touch on so many different topics. And really, I think what we can do is then delve deeper into the topic of fertility and baby loss in the workplace and what organisations can do. Now, before we get into this episode, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity, which is next generation fertility. And Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now, to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual model. So they have virtual consultations And specifically, their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey so they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans and individual patients. And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology and unlimited support. Now, the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company, for either flexi benefit, cash allowance or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. I'm delighted to welcome Zoe Sinclair, who is the founder of Employees Matter, which is an organization that provides a wealth of seminars and workshops and all sorts of webinars to promote and inspire a healthy and happy alliance between living and working. Now, since Zoe founded the organization, she's worked with clients ranging from FTSE 100 companies, leading accountancy and law firms, investment banks, management consultancies. It's a long list. And she also runs the global annual conference, This Can Happen, which has an amazing lineup of ambassadors made up of leading mental health experts and has had speakers, including Prince William himself. Thank you so much for inviting me. 
Well, can you start by just telling me how you came to set up Employees Matter? And I know that there's so much more that you do. What prompted you to get involved in this space? Well, as often happens, you know, and you know only too well, that it really started from a personal circumstance, really. And I had been living and breathing television, um, working at the BBC for about 10, 11 years, um, traveling around the world, making programs, and I absolutely loved it. And I had every intention of coming back to work after I started a family, but I didn't anticipate how hard it was going to be. And as much as I loved it, back in the days, because I'm of older years, I had five and a half months off work. That's all I was sort of able to take at that time. And um, I went back to work and it was a real challenge. And in no way am I criticizing the BBC. That's what it was just like at the time for a lot of people that went back to work, um, that there really wasn't any support in the workplace for new working parents. And, you know, my child didn't sleep through the night. I was expected to understandably do a 12-hour day. Um, and for me, it was very, very difficult to carry on working in television Um, whilst raising a very, very young family. And the more people I spoke to, the more women, especially at this time, uh, again, you know, my eldest is going to be 21. So this is going back 21 years, which really sounds like a lifetime ago. Um, But a lot of people felt exactly the same. And I completely admired the people that did go back to work and the women that did carry on in TV and travel around the world and carry on making programs. But I just found it really challenging. And I ended up after having my second baby um, of leaving. But I left with the intention that I really wanted to try and create something which would make people who were in my situation would make the workplace a a better place. And so at the time, I very, very shortly after I left, I set up what was then called Parents Matter. And it was all about supporting working parents and working with HR mainly, um, and helping them to support their parents by bringing in speakers, one-to-one consultations on all things linked to parents. So parents knew that they could come to work to a supportive environment for their what they were doing at that time, whether it was how to solve your children's sleep problems, which like for me would have been an absolute godsend, you know, all the way through to how to find the right childcare, how to choose the right first school for your child, all those sorts of things. Cutting things very short, parents matter suddenly caught on. And, you know, I think it was with a wave of um, governmental changes. I said, you know, I had five and a half months. Suddenly the government is talking about extending it to 52 weeks. They're looking at um, childcare voucher policies, all these sorts of things. And I kind of just hit that wave when everything was happening. And so suddenly workplaces were saying to me, yes, come in, come in. Let's see what speakers we can get in. Let's set up parent networks, family networks, all that sort of thing. And so I was very lucky and Parents Matter really began to grow. Um, And for five years, I was working with the most brilliant parenting speakers, family speakers, working in all sorts of different companies. And then these companies 
rightly so, turned around to me and said, Zoe, we really like working with you. We love what you do, but we have to remember that not all our staff are parents. Can you do anything else to support staff and staff well-being in general? And that's when I took the decision to say, yeah, okay, it's time to come out of my slightly narrow and blinkered world of being a parent. And it's time to open up to the well-being of more staff. And that is how Employees Matter was then born. I think it's amazing, though, when you hear stories that are generated from personal experience of trying to overcome a problem, trying to find out what can be done, and then making a success of it, which is exactly what you've just described. And that organic shift into the wider conversation is also I think hopefully so reassuring to people listening that companies are thinking about our well-being sometimes it takes it to be from the inside and the bottom up but it is really good to hear so let's hear about that shift because the mental health conversation over the last decade has become so much more prominent in the workplace it's become much more prominent I think in everyday conversations maybe in the last five definitely obviously in the last two to three but I'm really interested in how that has developed from what you've been doing in the work in the workplace. So Employees Matter was born and uh, we started supporting um, all sorts of different parts of the organisation. But uh, around the sort of 2015, 2016 mark, um, I really, really noticed that workplaces were coming to me and asking me, about the mental health space. And, and, and we need to start the conversation at our workplace, but we're not, I'm not really sure how to do it and what do you suggest? And so that led me to realizing that this was going to be this new conversation, one that potentially I didn't know a huge amount about, you know, all honesty there. And so I began to research and understand and make myself aware. And it was then that I realized actually that workplaces might be asking us, but they were very in the dark themselves. And what was also fascinating is that They weren't talking to each other about what they were doing. Everybody was very much working in silo. And 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 when we did organize something for a workplace, um, which I have to say very much started from the personal storytelling side of things, the company would come back to us and say, oh my goodness, like this conversation has started I don't know what to do next. You know, can you help us? That was really how it started and how Employees Matter very much had mental health uh, and mental well-being as part of everything else that we supported staff with. But it was then that I realized that mental health needed its own, it needed its own identity in what I did. And that's when I set up This Can Happen, which as you very kindly said in the introduction, started as a workplace mental health conference because I was seeing that workplaces weren't talking to each other about it. And as we have seen in, I I use the, you know, the diversity and inclusion agenda very much so, that companies talking to each other and sharing with each other what they're doing just broadens that conversation and helps all workplaces. So that was our intention with This Can Happen, for sharing, because it was such an unknown and sensitive area. I think we went from this hesitancy in talking about mental health, not really knowing what to do, to starting the conversations to potentially an 
outpouring of conversation, then COVID with a huge amount of conversation. And maybe, dare I say, that we're at the stage now in this kind of journey of the last five years that some workplaces are pulling back slightly because they're looking at other subjects, because they've done a lot on mental health. And I'm afraid maybe that mental health, the whole mental well-being piece could be seen to be dropping slightly down the agenda because there are other things that workplaces want to talk about. So that for me is is a very interesting journey that um, I'm seeing at the moment. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because that mental health terminology, it's so broad that so many things factor into it. You could hone in on diabetes, for example, if there was an awareness campaign. But you can't say that, that doesn't impact somebody's mental health because of the restrictions it puts on there every day. So you'd hope almost that it doesn't. I mean, obviously, you're seeing it. So I think what's interesting is to understand if there's this kind of well-being fatigue that maybe some of these companies are feeling because they've tried to do so much and it's how to maintain it. I mean, I'm interested in when you were developing these conversations, was it as you'd assume that it's your kind of HR and your people people or were there other people within the organizations that were driving this focus? Because we know that there's often a, a personal interest from organizations. Was it those types of people or was it the kind of official routes to getting these things happening? I think the answer is both um, in different organizations. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I do think it's very important that um, to note that all organizations are different. People are not different, but the organizations themselves are. And so some organizations are very HR led, um, the programs that they do, but there are other organizations that are very lucky to have um, standout people that really want to make a difference. And they become the advocate themselves. They might have to go through HR, but HR are only too happy to, you know, welcome them and to, you know, push them out there to start that conversation. Now, those HR companies that are starting the conversation themselves might well end up that way with other advocates. But I, I really see a, a, a very good split um, in the way it works. I mean, we, we know that personal storytelling is a, is a very, very good way to start, but it has to be done in the right way as well um, because they, you know, y- you have to, I know it's a term that is banded around a little bit, but people that are sort of putting themselves out there have to feel psychologically safe and have to have the structures around them because so often I'm hearing, oh my goodness I couldn't believe the reaction to my article or to my podcast that went out live and I my inbox was inundated now whilst that's great to start the conversation you know it's not so always so easy for that individual that has put themselves out there um, and they're sort of carrying the, the you know they become the icon of mental well-being if you like in their in their organization and that can be something that if any HR people are listening to or anyone that's thinking about telling their story, I would really 
they mustn't forget to think about that if they're about to tell their story. I think that's such a good point because you might feel like you're ready to one day and then a week later feel totally the opposite and you've put yourself out there. So I think that's so interesting. And when we think about like cultural shifts, because you've been doing this work now for a chunk of time, you've seen changes. I'm interested in maybe some standout moments. Have there been organisations that maybe showed a bit of resistance at first and then they came round once maybe these stories were told and, and there was this like domino effect that we talk about when, you know, one person shares and the next person shares? Or has there been examples where you've, you've been doing the work and people that weren't convinced that they needed it were then surprised that it was relevant? Because I think there's an element of people thinking that is this relevant to me if I haven't had personal experience or so nobody's come up and spoken to me about this so is it relevant are there standout moments that you've seen that change I think if I look at the journey I think there are sort of two kind of standout um moments no I, I think they are moments and and that's the standout moment where I had plenty of clients saying to me, love the content of this webinar, for example, that we're about to put on, but I don't want to have the word stress in the title. That was like a real standout moment for me thinking, well, hold on a second. If you want to do this, and this is what you're trying to support your staff in, how can you not have stress in the title when this is what the session is about. So that for me was like, okay, what's the intention of the workplace if they don't want to mention stress? So that was potentially a negative standout moment, but something that really stayed with me and I suppose made me think about how else we could be rolling out the support all the way through to something more recently, which we did a lot of work this month to talk about suicide. And for me, that was a standout moment, particularly because I actually facilitated this webinar myself. So it it was very personal as well. And I, I felt every moment of it. But I don't think we have ever had more workplaces signing up for their staff to be involved in a webinar that we called something like opening up conversations about suicide. Now, that was a standout moment. In fact, I get goosebumps just thinking about it when Mm. we had three speakers talking of personal experiences of they had either attempted it themselves or they'd lost someone themselves workplaces a few years ago would not have put on a session on suicide and we had hundreds and I mean hundreds of people taking part in that session and the the standout moment of that standout experience was that I couldn't believe how many people were sending me in the private chat box experiences that they had had that of of loss of a parent of a child of a sibling and for me that was like this is real I mean suicide is I think right at the end of the, the the spectrum right and that people were opening up that the numbers of people that were opening up about that on that webinar for me was a standout moment 
and just makes me feel that we have come far. I totally understand that not every workplace is signing up to that webinar. And I I understand that, but we have come far already that enough did. And as I said, that the, the hundreds of people were on that call. So yeah, I think those are my two, as you can see, very two ends of the spectrum, but really kind of, I think, illustrate where we've come from and where we're going to. Yeah. I mean, do you think that because of what happened with the pandemic of literally us working from home, so work became in our home, that the workplace has just had to realise how much of a part of a person it is. Because there's not that distinction, is there, of you leaving your home to go to work? I mean, I just feel from what you've just described that that really is the workplace saying, we really need to this, you know, obviously the pandemic has had such huge repercussions in so many ways, but it's really brought it to the forefront. And I think it's phenomenal to hear, you know, what you've just said and, and amazing and, and hopefully massively reassuring again to people that this is the way that workplaces are thinking. But do you think that's part of it that there is such now they're so merged, aren't they, work and home life? They are. I think it's a really interesting question that you bring up because I think this work life merge is really complicated um, and and actually it makes it f- far more difficult for workplaces and, and far more difficult for individuals um, it, it it's when we don't have that physical contact however many zooms teams whatever that you have it's just not the same so I think it's a real challenge for workplaces I really do this this new way of working um someone said something to me so interesting the other day which actually I'd never properly thought about that they said to me you know our workplace is asking that we go in at least three days a week and most people are doing three days whatever it's different for for different workplaces And they said, the problem is, I now find it so difficult to actually work in the workplace. One, because there's so many people around and there's so much noise. But two, I'm so pleased to see people in person that we're catching up and talking and I don't get enough time to work. So which I actually thought was, you know, (laughs) really interesting. Now, I know I'm going slightly off topic, but I, I, I bring that up because I just think the workplace itself is a really challenging environment, full stop, the way we are working at the moment. And, you know, I I feel sorry for owners of big business with this, you know, constant movement of people. And how can you look after uh, effectively the the well-being of your staff where some of them you're never seeing, some of them you're seeing over a screen, you know, and and that's what we are working very, very hard, um, you know, to try and support. It's not easy. I mean, I know I could talk to you for ages and quiz you on so many different elements because my kind of understanding of the of the workplace is is relatively new compared to yours with the work that we're doing with fertility matters but I I did want to pick your brains on this fertility conversation from your experience because we've obviously started talking and, and working with you because I know that you said that people have been asking about this conversation and I know that you in the many topics that you cover I mean we touched on stress and suicide when we're talking about reproductive health for example we know that the menopause conversation has found its way into the workplace and we've seen amazing change and understanding and narrative around it and so when we're thinking about the fertility conversation which is what I want to you know talk to you about with all these things that we know the workplace are trying to 
do, we feel that the fertility conversation is like the next one. So we've got the mental health conversation that has has been done and is still being done. We've seen the menopause conversation and, and we feel that there is now an interest in the fertility and the family building conversation. And we're not just focusing on women's health. We're very adamant that this is a, a people conversation because it affects all employees. Employees matter in this conversation. Do you think it's accurate to say that that family building piece is, is on people's radar and it's relevant because it's it's our experience? And I know that you're having some conversations with people about it. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think that's for a number of reasons. And I do think the menopause conversation has helped it. Um, and as with many other conversations, because the workplace is opening its doors to more stigmatized conversations. But where fertility, I think, is another couple of reasons why we're able to have those conversations is, first of all, there's that intersection between physical health and mental health, which I think is you know, fertility absolutely crosses both of those. So I think that, you know, a lot of workplaces don't call their well-being specifically mental health. It's well-being, you know, in total. And, and fertility is absolutely one of those. And I also think that, as we know, over the years, the family side of things is naturally progressing, not just from a women's conversation to family at large, um, you know, and, and different types of families that there are. And as we know, it's not, not just women and men together having families, it's all sorts of different families being made. And I think the workplace may have been a little slow in in appreciating that, especially maybe for a person who is not carrying the baby, a baby specifically, uh, whatever gender they may be. But I think that the workplace is opening its eyes now to, to this whole landscape. You know, I th- sometimes think that we have to accept that some conversations take a long time to form. And it was too early 10 years ago but we are the workplace is now ready to have this conversation because of all other conversations that have paved the way to get to this point um and you know that that for me that's that's only a good thing and and do you feel because we mentioned and I'm going back to that suicide webinar that you said do you feel resistance on certain topics that you introduce like we for example have had people that might have said I don't think fertility is relevant because we're a predominantly male workforce. And then obviously there's the education piece about how this impacts men as well. Uh, I suppose the suicide one's probably not the best example because who's to say it's not something that you can rightly or wrongly predict how and who it will impact. But are there certain areas in, in the work that you do that there's been resistance, people saying, I don't see why or or how? Yes, uh, I mean, definitely. I mean, um, p- people, there are uh, many of my clients that are, you know, still haven't done anything actively on the menopause. And I think, you know, I go back to what I just said earlier about, I think it's really hard to be an HR person, HR and diversity person at the moment. There is so much being thrown at them and so much that they could support their staff with. It can be overwhelming. And, you know, at the end of the day, each workplace has their own budgets, their own timetable of events or whatever, and they have to choose. 
and it's very, very difficult. And so they can't do everything. So choices have to be made. But I do think that if, for example, they haven't chosen to do something on the menopause, it doesn't mean they don't care. It just means that they just haven't been able to fit it in. You know, I've got loads of books sitting here that I want to read, you know, desperate to read. I can't get to them all. Doesn't mean I don't care about the subjects. I really care about the subjects. I just don't have all the time in the world to sit and read through all these books. And I know that's probably not a really good, uh, very good comparison, but, you know, we can't always do everything, but I really do believe that everything will, you know, will have its time. Um, and I do think that, you know, the fertility conversation is definitely about to have its time, if not already. And and when we're focusing in on that and what you would hope organisations start to think about, when we talk about supporting people with their family building What kind of things would you say from your experience in what you've been doing in the workplace? We talked about internal networks and personal stories. For people listening, what kind of approach do you think is wise? I think the most important thing is that not one family fits everybody. For me, that is the most important thing. The minute you go in um, and start thinking about a, a mother and father and a, two, a two-parent a two-parent family, you, you're destined for failure. Um, and I think if anyone's considering um, supporting their staff in that way, they have to understand that they have to consider every single type of family, and that's what makes it a success. Now. When I first started Parents Matter, um, you know, 20 years ago, I probably would look back and see some of the titles and some of the sessions that we did, which I thought were totally appropriate then, but I probably wouldn't even dream of doing them now. And that's again, how, because we, you know, we're learning and, you know, the conversations are growing. But yeah, my one piece of advice is know that one family is not the same as the next family. And there has to be an inclusive approach to anything, a family network or any kind of support that you're giving um, to a family. Wise words, of course. And and just thinking about when you said that example of the use of the word stress and there being some nervousness about that. Do you think that a lot of this comes down to people having confidence in bringing these conversations to light And using these words that we do associate maybe negatively, but actually it's almost like once we take the cotton wool off these difficult topics, you can't really sugarcoat them, can you? So they just need to really be, it's better to almost just say the thing rather than try and coat the thing when you're trying to address a difficult topic. Yes, I agree entirely. And actually, it, it th- makes me think of regular conversations that I'm having with, um, you know, family networks still, um, you know, to say, we need a session on educating parents on knowledge that they don't have, that their children do have now, you know, and whether that's the use of language that they grew up with, that their children are absolutely appalled at hearing their parents I think um, conversation new language uh, new terminology climate change for example um, you know eco-anxiety are our parents understanding our parents today understanding what their children are thinking there are 
so many things um, that, um, you know, as parents that we, we, we're a bit lacking, you know, we, we're not keeping up with the times. It's our young people that are keeping up with the times and we need to adjust accordingly. So um, I do think it's, you know, it absolutely is about opening up these conversations and being honest with us and ourselves and as families not putting our heads in the sand about it you know we have to appreciate this you know another example you know when it comes to families is even the next generation above us my parents and grandparents you know what are they thinking about the world around us and their influence on 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 our children you know we and the carers piece and the elder care piece and people are living so much longer now and those conversations we didn't necessarily have to have 20 years ago because that sandwich generation that we've labeled didn't necessarily exist so much then because People weren't living as longer. But now in the family, we have to, it's not just even about parents. It's about your parents as well. So it's keeping those conversations open um, and recognizing that we're, that we're moving. Mm. Whilst we're talking about families, something that we were um, not pulled up on, but questioned about in Fertility Matters was when we were talking about starting a family. Somebody had quite rightly said that family isn't necessarily children family is is elder parents is siblings is animals and we've been very aware to look at that use of that language and I'm interested in just because we were touching on family as we were drawing to a close there whether in the workplace kind of education that you're doing that that conversation about what families look like now is being considered because we know it is so varied and it's not as we had touched on that assumed family building by younger people, um, babies coming in, however it looks, whether it's we're talking about, you know, biological children or adopting, fostering, all that type of thing. Um, but then obviously families in different ways. Is that is that a conversation that the workplace is trying to get its head around? Definitely. I think so. Yeah. And I think members of staff are, are very good at pulling up workplaces on that. And that's how we learn. You know, it's it's assumptions that we make. And sometimes we make mistakes. And that, again, is why when anyone's trying to set up some kind of program, it, you have to understand the diversity of a program and and. Yeah. and what does family mean? And as exactly as you said, family does not necessarily mean children. And mm. so these family networks are not, they used to be called parent networks. And that's how they started. And they had, and, and people set up parent networks. So if you're not a parent, you don't have to be, you don't, you don't have to sign up. So you won't see all this communication coming into your inbox. And, and that was a very good idea. You know, doesn't mean everybody's got to be part of the parent network, not at all. But then language again, and everything seems to boil down to language. It changed because the parent bit didn't seem inclusive. So family, changing it to family then involves another dimension and you might be part of a family but you're not a parent uh, and that's whether it's your choice or not but you also want to be part of this family network as long as that family network is not constantly just talking about being a parent so it's I'll say it again it's a tough job being in the workplace it really is and and yeah. I it because there's so much going on 
I think very much with language and we have to we have to look after our people and respect that everyone is different and everyone has got feelings and and that can be tricky. So we'll be sure to put all of Zoe's links in the show notes so you can find out more about Employees Matter and her This Can Happen uh, conference. Becky, you went, didn't you? And I was gutted I couldn't go, but it, it sounded amazing. Tell us a bit about what it was like. It was amazing. And um, it was a real privilege to be a part of all of the different conversations that were happening on the day. And just to paint a little bit of a picture, this conference was was all about mental health in the workplace. And there were talks around neurodiversity. There was talks around baby loss in the workplace. There was talks around being diverse and inclusive as an employer. And there were so many different examples from different organisations showcasing the work that they were doing. And one of the things I actually found from listening to the conversations and the panels was that regardless of the topic that was being talked about, there was such commonality in the importance of showing leadership and for leaders to be able to be vulnerable and talk about these taboo topics, but also for organisations to create a psychologically safe environment and I came away really thinking about how even conversations about something that might not seem related to fertility can absolutely be applied to it. And so I think it just inspired me with the work that we're doing in trying to reach even more people and just showing that the real benefits of looking after our employees and their mental health. And there's no doubt that fertility has a direct impact on people's mental health. And I know, Claire, that this is something that's really close to your heart. I mean, I've learned so much in the time that we've been working as an organisation from the pair of you with your HR hats on. But the whole range of conversations that Becky said were being discussed and the importance of this fertility conversation sitting in amongst them. Mm-hmm. I know is something that you're always really keen to highlight, aren't you? Yeah, and it's it's amazing to see the dynamics of these conversations come to the forefront now. I mean, I said before about my career spanning nearly 25 years, this wasn't even stuff that was discussed probably even 10 years ago in the workspace. There was inklings of it here and there, and, and there were forward-thinking organisations that really sort of grabbed it and ran with it. The whole wellness conversation's really been catapulted, especially in a post-COVID world now. So that's where we're starting. We're starting kind of setting the scene of, I suppose, the conversations that are happening within the well-being space in, in a broad way before we get more specific with our fertility conversation and we really hope that you've enjoyed this episode what we ask is that you please do subscribe rate and review it ideally share it with your colleagues and if you have a question that you'd like answering why don't you email us our email is info at fertility matters at work.com and both of you before I let you go some of the questions I mean we're, we're talking with HR and well-being leads all the time I'm putting you on the spot now but some of the common questions that we've had can you both give me an example I mean I'll start like we, we we know that we've had the people saying to us about being in a male-dominated environment and is this relevant and we're going to be talking more about the male conversation in our next episode because the sad reality is is infertility affects all people and it's 
pretty much 50-50 male-female factors and that's not a reason. And we really try to raise awareness when we are faced with that as a bit of resistance, don't we? That we try to highlight the male voice. And, mm. and like I say, you'll hear that in our next episode. What are some kind of questions that you you feel that our audience might have? I think one for me was it's probably less of a question, more of an assumption. So I've heard people saying almost assume that it isn't relevant for their workplace because they've not heard anybody ask for help for fertility treatment or they they've not heard conversations about it and what we would always say is it's almost like a vicious circle the reason why people aren't sharing this personal information and asking for help is often because it isn't spoken about and so the more the organizations open up and we've seen this through the conversations that we have when we host the interactive panel discussions with organizations is that it's almost like a domino effect where people hear it being talked about they hear people internally within their organization sharing stories and then suddenly feel safe and that permission to share themselves and so I would just say if you think oh well it's not really relevant to our organization because no one's ever asked for it I don't think anyone's going through it you would be surprised at how many people go through this in silence and how by not having that direct support from their organisation can really affect them. And I'd add that a lot of people come to us and say things like, what am I entitled to? Can I have time off? Is this a legitimate thing for me to ask my employer to take time off for? And we're really excited that we are behind a parliamentary campaign at the minute to fight for statutory paid time off for fertility appointments for people but I think this has been definitely supported by the wider conversation that we have and those questions that we get asked all the time in this space. And on that note, if you're listening to this episode as it's dropped, which is on the very 1st of November, we are going to be heading to Parliament. We have already spoken with Nikki Aiken, who is the MP driving this bill through, and we're going to be sharing her thoughts on the campaign. Also, we have a campaign all about encouraging um, you to write to your MP, whether this is something that you've experienced personally or there's people within your organization, friends, family members. Again, we'll put the links in the show notes. And if you are listening to this in real time, also what you'll find in the show notes is a link to sign up to our amazing event that is happening in a week's time, which I'm going to let Becky sell to you. So yeah, I'm really excited about the event that we're holding on the 8th of November and there will be a recording available, but it's our very first roundtable discussion And we are focusing on diversity and inclusion in fertility. And what we really want to try and do is just demonstrate how vast this topic is in the space of 90 minutes, which is quite a big ask, really. And what we're going to be doing is talking about all of the different experiences that people go through when they are trying to build their family, whether they are going through it for reasons of infertility or whether they're going through it due to social reasons so we'll be hearing from people from the lgbtq plus community we'll be hearing from people who have direct personal experience but we'll also be hearing from people who have had alternative paths to parenthood and maybe just sparking those thoughts on things that you might need to consider that maybe you haven't even thought of and we're also going to be delving deeper into the impact that this can have on people from the black community and the South Asian community and different ethnic minorities where there are different levels of taboo and shame 
that impact people on this path to parenthood, which makes it even less likely for them to be able to share it with their employer. We're going to cover lots and lots, but we just hope it will open your eyes and really help you understand this issue and how it affects the many different people involved. So that's a taster of what's to come with the F word at work. There's a lot of ground that we have to cover. We already have a lot of episodes ready to share with you. So once again, do subscribe, rate, review the podcast. We'd love to have you join us as we go through all these different stories. And we hope that you enjoy listening. Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events that we have as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community. We're at Fert Matters Work on Twitter. Plus, we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com. If from what we've shared with you, you feel ready to talk more about how your organisation can become fertility friendly, do book a call via the website link. It will be great to hear from you. 